It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from Microsoft Surface. Now more than ever, you need a laptop that can be as adaptable as you are. Introducing Microsoft Surface Laptop Go. Finally, a premium laptop at an affordable price. Starting at just $549, its light, thin design, vibrant touchscreen, powerful processor, and built-in HD camera and mic turns any room in your home into a classroom, office, or study hall. Available in three amazing colors the whole family will love. Visit surface.com slash laptop go for more details. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. You are Locked on Warriors, your daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I'm Daniel Rue, your host, so happy to bring you your team every day. And since the Warriors actually have a real day off, I wanted to do more of a big picture conversation and have on a first-time Locked on Warriors guest, Eric Malinowski. And Eric is doing covering the Warriors for Bleacher Report. I've known him for years. Being around the Warriors is actually working on a book on the team that's coming out, I believe, next year. And we go through a lot of different stuff, the road trip, the season so far, where we think this team is going, and I I really did enjoy the conversation. So it's about a half an hour. I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. We're in this strange place with this Warrior season where we have enough information to make some determinations, but not enough to, to see everything. Where are you on this team at this moment? Um, feeling a little bit better than I was obviously before this road trip started. Um, I think that, uh, this continues to be a team that, um, so far has, the good news is I think they've, they've definitely sort of played above their competition for the majority of the season. I think that's obviously a pretty encouraging sign. Um, what I, the thing that I've sort of been thinking about pretty much since, you know, we're thinking about the fact that we're still here in November, we've still got, I don't know, four, four and a half months of the regular season to go calendar wise kind of thing. Um, I, I've been thinking about this idea that, you know, this is actually, you know, Steve Kerr's first sort of time coaching these early season games in two years. Like, I think that one of the things that we constantly forget is like he was not on the sidelines a year ago at this time, obviously, you know, coming back from the back surgery and leaving those those responsibilities to Luke Walton. And obviously he was still a presence around the team and practices and things like that. But you know, this is this is his first time kind of going through this early season grind in about two years. And I think back to his first season when, you know, he came in, he was a little bit green. He was obviously stepping into a situation where he was really working hard to sort of earn the earn the trust and the respect of the players. And there was this adjustment period in the beginning of his rookie year. You you remember this when, the, you know, they, they were running these plays. You know, he basically had to you know, chop down the playbook. I don't know. I forget what, like what he says the percentage was in hindsight. It was like, you know, maybe it was like 50% or something like that, but he had to trim down the playbook significantly after a while. But those were the sorts of things. And I'm not saying that's an apples to apples things with this season, but my point is that there were things that he had to learn in the beginning of the season and then sort of make those adjustments. And I feel like we're sort of still in that mode right now. I think as long as we're seeing like, you know, James Michael McAdoo first quarter minutes, like we're definitely sort of still in that, 
that that mode of the season where he's he's constantly tinkering with these things and we don't really necessarily know how things are going to shake out but i mean how do you sort of look at that in regards to like you know we we want to sort of make these conclusions now but like to me it's like I still like feel like we don't really necessarily know what this team is. Maybe we know 80% of what this team is, but we don't really have the whole equation yet. I think it's a lot lower than 80%. And <laughs> what I understated in my own head was the scope of the adjustment. And that goes in two paths at the same time. So one is just incorporating guys like Durant. Durant is a fundamental mm-hmm. change to the system in many different ways. He has different strengths, different weaknesses. And some of that is adjustments from the players, you know, just where he likes the ball, what he likes to do, where he's good with mm-hmm. it, where he's bad with it, defensively, what what kind of responsibilities he's comfortable with. And then the other part is just evaluation. And that's right. a lot of what they're doing right now is, as you said, James Michael McAdoo getting those first quarter minutes against the <laughs> against the Celtics. JaVale McGee's rapidly vacillating <laughs> role. Kevon Looney vacillating role. You know, all this kind well, of stuff. Well, it was Milwaukee, right you know. It, it, it was, but it. you're seeing that sort of yeah. thing. And then there are parts of it that have been stabilized. But even the parts of the, I'm excluding the stars. They're, you know, their thing is their thing. But mm-hmm. even the parts that have more stabilized, like, Pachulia playing those first seven or so minutes of the first quarter, and then David West playing the first five to six in the in the second and fourth. Uh-huh. Those are more stable. My current feeling is that they, for the most part, that will be the status quo for a while at least. But I do not feel that either of those is the status quo like for the playoffs or anything. It's just a regular season status quo. And I've struggled with that. And, you know, I've gotten pushback at various moments on Twitter and other things about the idea of will they really go to the small lineups as much? Will they fundamentally change this off the regular season? But my my instinct, and again, it is instinct because Kerr hasn't said anything and it's not even prudent to ask this early, is that those dynamics will change when the games matter most. Um, I think one of the things that sort of buoyed my confidence a little bit, you, you mentioned sort of the, the small ball lineup is this, you know, we, we had this idea a few games ago that Andre Iguodala was sort of heading down this sort of very steep and precipitous decline. And, and you started to see this narrative start to bubble up a little bit, like maybe age is finally catching up to him, you know, maybe maybe this is sort of the end game for him or they should start even, you know, thinking about a, a post Iguodala kind of life. But I mean, he's really sort of come on these last four games. Uh, you know, he hasn't been a- outrageously fantastic, but, you know, he has provided them with, you know, he's been knocking down, I think, enough of those open shots that you sort of have to, you know, there was this idea that, you know, well, uh, you know, the, the underlying premise of the death lineup is that there are no weak spots. And for a while there, for a good six or seven games, he was looking like a pretty glaring weak spot. So, <laughs> you know, he's sort of, he's come on a little bit here, but, you know the season is long, <laughs> and it's dark and full of terrors, and and it's going to take uh, it's going to be quite a grind. But I think that um, as long as I mean they can count on the eight, nine, kind of ten points a night. They can't really count on ten points a night anymore from him. But you know he's you know Durant is not really the one that I'm kind of worrying about at this point. I've really been sort of encouraged by seeing him kind of adapt to to some of Kerr's schemes and kind of see him uh, obviously there are many times where i wish he would shoot the ball a little bit more i mean he there's just i mean there's just so many mismatches that he just needs to go ahead and take advantage of but you know this was one of the things we talked about before the season where you know the thing that might plague them early on is sort of this this curse of you know being too selfless you know kind of you know not being the one who wants to kind of take the shot all the time and 
I guess that's one of the things in addition to sort of <laughs> hoping that Iguodala kind of keeps us up. I think that Durant is going to have to become more selfish as it goes on. But I mean, if you look at his numbers right now, he's he's playing more efficiently than perhaps any other point in his career. I mean, it's astounding how well his numbers look right now. One, let's call it underappreciated facet. And I, I just noticed this now, and I'll probably end up writing about it this week, is that <laughs> it happened so gradually we didn't even notice it. But Andre Iguodala has become a Daryl Morey player like Maury Ball with the stereotype. <laughs> so I'm going to go through his percentage of attempts by distance. Let's so do it. zero to three feet. So that's, you know, at the rim, everything around sure. there. 36.6%. Hmm. Three to 10 feet, 1.4%. Zero, 10 to 16 feet, zero. Not a single <laughs> shot. I think I see where you're going with this. <laughs> 16 to the three-point line, 12.7%. Three-pointers, 49. Bingo. <laughs> He's become that guy. And... There are the platonic ideal. He's yeah, there, there are still these questions about whether he will make those shots. You know, he's been mm-hmm. a little shakier at, at finishing than he was before in his career. He's been a little bit shakier at threes. Mm-hmm. But the biggest change in some ways with the death lineup of adding Durant is that you need so much less offensively from Iguodala mm-hmm. because now he basically he's Barnes now and Durant is Iguodala now. And so if you can if you can make that work because Andre makes such good decisions and all that sort of thing, but one of the ways of doing those lineups is to have Durant in the corner so it creates more space for the for the Curry Draymond pick and roll. But Durant, that's underutilizing him. I mean, I think that's it's kind of like the the best worst case scenario is that. And so how they're going to figure all that out is interesting. And with Durant, the point you got at was very important, which is his not capacity to attack mismatches because that is just there his willingness to do so and my hope was that playing him with you know a lot of backup guys was going to do more of that it has helped a little bit but that killer instinct he might just be waiting i i I haven't talked to him yet about the idea of whether he saw what what lebron did last year and said oh well that could work for me or whether he's just being you know passive deferential all that sort of thing but as crazy as it sounds for a team that right now has the best offensive rating of any team in modern NBA history, they can get a lot better on that end. And the defense, uh, Dean Oliver had this great stat, father, right. one of the fathers of analytics, that the Warriors, if you just take out garbage time, they're 10th in defense. And th- those minutes have been an absolute disaster. And we would expect at the same point that their defense is going to get a lot better. Draymond has been phenomenal, but almost every other guy I would say has outperformed, has underperformed relative to their defensive expectations. So, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about as well is this idea of now that, you know, this idea of what do you get when you have Durant in as opposed to Barnes? And now it's become, it's been very important, this whole idea of staggering minutes a little bit more and trying to make sure that you have, you know, the whole idea of like having at least two all-stars on the floor at, at all times, which is a pretty, that's a pretty nice luxury for a team to have. Uh, and they can, they can pretty much do it at will. Um, but that was one of the things, you know, when they brought in Mike Brown to be the new sort of top assistant, that was really one of the duties that was delegated to him was to kind of be be the lineup guy, kind of be the guy who can kind of crunch the math, look at the lineup numbers and make sure that they've got some semblance of a pretty decent working lineup out there so far. And I'm kind of wondering from your perspective, do we do we have we seen sort of the fruits of that labor so far? Do we kind of know how that's going to shake out? Have we seen kind of what's working or I mean there's there's been some line of configurations that have been pretty interesting so far obviously they're kind of still kind of getting their sea legs a little bit but do we have an idea sort of 
as we kind of progress maybe post-Christmas kind of into that mid-season slog, like what are the lineups that we think are going to kind of be kind of firmly entrenched in that we're going to see with more regularity? Partially. So one that's <laughs> done really well is the Durant West Livingston backup combination that has mm-hmm. Dave. I think they've West has looked a lot better recently. He has, and he's engaged more defensively and his offensive game is getting more. Let's, let's call it more cohesive. He's fitting in more of the scheme, making nice or spacey, yeah. more, more, more spacey, but also making better decisions. Like Spates yeah. is a wonderful player for what he does, but West <laughs> can, can take away some of the negatives that Spates has. Like for Spates, it was just these wild swings because he just does his thing. I, I had, yeah. I for, for, Real Jam Radio, I had Dan Wojcicki on, who's covering the, mm-hmm. the Clippers, and we had this little commiseration on Mo Spates. It's like, Mo Spates is just going to do whatever he wants. And right. West is different than that, and that can work out really well. Also, the Warriors' idea... So th- the idea of 2-2 two and two is definitely part of this, but another thing that I've really liked and might end up being a part of the playoff rotation, though I think we're not seeing much that'll be reflective, is at the end of the first quarter, a lot of times they're ending up with Curry... Draymond and then Durant comes back in and it feels like I haven't looked at the numbers yet because it's hard to parse mm-hmm. that they've done really well as well so those are a couple of different things that have been let's call it in, I, I think encouraging it's weird to say because they're so good mm-hmm. you know they've <laughs> wait a, a lineup of full of really talented players does well that's not really setting the world on fire breaking news yeah exactly and so those those combinations are part of what Kerr is looking for. It's not the, the final answer for all this, but the big rotation question that I want to know, because this is, I think, maybe the most important thing for this team in the regular season is, mm-hmm. the ballpark estimate for me is that the best players on this team will play about 40 minutes a night in the playoffs, you know, at least in the important games. Sure. That's mm-hmm. about the baseline. I, I did a piece for Warriors World last year, did a piece for The Athletic this year about how that works. The Maybe the optimal way of handling that would be if they could play for like four or five minutes a game, maybe even that little, a true backup lineup. So they wouldn't have to mm. stagger these guys. And if Kerr can come up with a five-man lineup that doesn't involve the Warriors' four best players, that can, let's say, play flat even against a good team, ideally against a good team's bench, but whatever. That would be kind of the the master key to unlock a lot of this stuff. And they have the guys to do it. I, mm-hmm. that, they have the guys to do it, and they haven't really fiddled with that yet, but maybe you start doing that from the All-Star break to the end of the season once you know what you have in everybody. I was looking back at some of uh, the past playoff uh, minutes rotations, and <laughs> I went back to the uh, San Antonio series from 2013 in the second round, and Steph played 57 minutes and 36 seconds in that game one double overtime loss, and I'm thinking, oh my god, 57 minutes. <laughs> that was not good for him, <laughs> as it turned out. That, no, that it was been, not. No, that was not a great... Not a great decision in, in hindsight. You want, you want um, a crazy stat? Go ahead. So I've been fiddling around with NBA Wowie, which is fun also because the guy yeah. who created mm-hmm. Evan Zamir is a Warriors fan, and we talk every once in a while. But so I was looking at the minutes that the four stars have played without Zaza Pachulia, because oh that's a, a, a better proxy for a lot of this kind of stuff. And so right. some of those are with Iguodala, some of those are with Livingston, actually a few are with McCaw. And mm. in those minutes, 
the Warriors have allowed, I think it's a 101 points per 100 possessions, which is, you know, it's all right. It's it's mm-hmm. worse than you'd expect. They've scored 135.8 per 100 possessions. Hello, it's, nurse. It's like 89 <laughs> minutes, but that's really what wow. matters with this team. And, and I yeah. understand why they're doing the stagger and getting into that confidence. But mm-hmm. anyone who's making these credible arguments about the other teams being threats to the Warriors... And I'm not discounting what the Clippers have done, what the Cavs have done, what the Celtics could be eventually now that they actually have their guys back. Sure. But you have to solve that riddle before I get into it, unless we're going to start talking about injuries. And <laughs> I think you have to think full strength, full strength at this point until we get something that changes our mentality. Yeah, and I think that that's why um, you know we want to talk so a little bit about you know, how the sky is falling with the defense and everything. And that's why whenever I hear that topic come up, like it can't, um, I can't get too like, um, I can't sort of overreact to that too much because yes, like I'm sure that like Ron Adams, like maybe he stays up at night knowing that they have a 103.6 defensive rating, but as long as their offensive rating is in, you know, depending on, but I mean, it's at historic levels right now. So like, as long as it is up there, they're going to be fine. Like as long as that net rating is in double digits, like a okay, <laughs> they're they're going to be okay. They're fine. Um, and and I think that yeah, like like you said before, I think there is still like a little bit of sort of regression into the mean that's going to happen sort of as the season goes on and rotations tighten up a little bit. But what was that? One thirty five. One thirty five point eight. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and they haven't played the strongest competition in the world. I mean, you you haven't sure. really seen that, and it's only eighty nine minutes, which is another yeah. big kind of question about you know those guys haven't really <clears throat> dealt with that much in terms of injury that they played so little together, but mm-hmm. they're getting continuity in terms of individual player pairs, you know, it's like Curry and Durant mm-hmm. are playing together and Curry and Draymond yeah. and Draymond and Durant and all that kind of stuff. And maybe that's enough for right now. And yeah, I mean, the death, the death lineup has only played 68 minutes right. uh, so far this season, which, which is smart, honestly, uh, because, you know, those are very tiresome minutes for a guy like Draymond Green having to play center. So, I mean, that is, that is smart. But at the same time, like you look at like the Clippers, I mean, what is their, their starting lineup, which like leads the NBA in, in, in net rating and they've played like over 300 minutes together. And it's like, wow, that's, I mean, that's one way to do it, but that's your starting lineup too. So if that's, if your starters are that good, like, you know, more power to you. As long as you're not working him too hard, and it doesn't feel like they are. They're they're giving their guys enough, yep. and they also, whether it's justified or not, Doc Rivers has a lot of faith in their bench, so they've gone to sure. more of that first unit, second unit thing, and that also, they don't have the pressures, let's say, of you know keeping everybody happy in such a rigid sense because so much runs through Chris Paul. I feel the Clippers should actually stagger Blake and Chris more, but you know, that's not, it's not the biggest thing at this point. Those guys are going to, they play together long enough. Like Blake is going to suck it up and realize, especially when they're doing as well as they are that, okay, we're going to, we're going to live with that. But I, I was talking a little bit with, when they Duncan were doing dunked on about why I was really skeptical of them spending their off season capital on Richard Jefferson and Mike Dunleavy. And the reason for it is exactly the, these warriors combinations. It's that the Cavs have a very good team, not discounting anything they have done, anything they will do. But when the warriors go death lineup, any variant go Draymond at center with really any other player, LeBron James has to be two places at once. And if any human being alive can do that, it's LeBron James, but (laughs) That's a lot to ask, and it's different than last year because Durant gives them an offensive capability, even if Curry isn't what he was during the regular season last year, where they don't 
they don't like fall off a cliff because they're so dependent on his singular brilliance. Yeah. And, uh, and plus LeBron's going to be, he's, he's getting a year older every year as are all of us. <laughs> so are we sure about that? with him? I, I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I, I may have aged more than a year <laughs> over the past couple of months, but, um, you brought up Curry. I actually wanted to talk about him a little bit because he was my, um, I kind of went against the grain a little bit and, and picked the two time rating MVP to win the MVP yet again. Um, I just kind of sort of before the season began, I kind of fell on this idea that like, well, if they're going to win a bunch of games and he's going to be still kind of the the, the established floor leader um, is going to be the guy most responsible for facilitating and things like that, then that's where the credit's going to fall on him. That's where the appreciation is going to fall on him. And as long as they kind of stay in that 65 to 70 win range, um, he's going to be sort of the beneficiary of that. And I guess... But, you know, obviously numbers are still going to be important, I think, to a lot of the voting public. And I guess his numbers are just a little bit off where kind of I thought they would be at this point. I know it was just really just a few games ago that he and Durant uh, basically maybe just two games ago, they had essentially scored the same amount of points through this year. Um, now I think there's about a point separation. Steph is at 26.1 per game. I kind of thought his assists would go up a little bit more, kind of it, at least kind of be maybe surpass what Draymond is doing but you know Steph is still at six a game and Draymond is at just about seven per game so um you know like I said there's a little bit of this team that still has to go in terms of regression to the mean like we said largely would go with with three-point shooting but Steph is, is shooting 41 percent on threes <laughs> he's doing like he, he is he is holding his up his end of the bargain there but I guess I could just kind of thought that kind of across the board he might be up a tick or two uh here and there I mean is that I'm not worried about that, but I guess it's just a little bit surprising. I guess I expected a little bit more production kind of in the early goings here. One of the elements of the way teams are defending the Warriors that I've noticed over the last couple of games, this was more true actually in the road trip than before, is that oftentimes when the ball leaves Steph's hands on an offensive possession, the only time it goes back there is when he gets a clean look for a shot. Teams are doing more to deny him the ball and everything mm -hmm. like that. And then when he breaks free... He's like, oh, that's a good look. I'm just going to shoot it. And fewer of those have gone in than will usually. You know, you said he's shoot, shooting 41% from three, which is true. He shot 45 last year. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that difference is basically the gap in efficiency, a, a mm -hmm. large portion of the difference, because he's doing a nice job in the interior. He's doing, you know, that's a big change in his game is that he's getting to the line a little bit more and he's finishing better. And that kind of helped propel helped helped kind of give him a little bit of a baseline as the shooting has been down relative to his lofty standards. But on the MVP question, which is kind of where you started that, mm -hmm. I am still of the belief, while I don't care that much about individual awards in the sense of, you know, what they mean historically, I care more just in terms of the intellectual questions that are underlying it, that the people will not, voters will not choose someone who has a great stat line on a shaky team on a team that is outside of the top four in their conference for the most valuable player in the league. It, there is There will be players with good cases, Russ. Oh, there's going to be a couple of discussions <laughs> but regarding that. Yeah. Basketball just has this really strong track record of doing that, and yeah. it is, at this moment, it is not the case where nobody else has a good argument. If it were, let's say, Harden and Westbrook, one, of the, one or both of those guys, is just miles and miles and miles ahead of the rest of the league, Kind of like Alex Rodriguez that year that he won, right. that he was considered for the MVP when his team for last place last. Texas, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So that's 
possible in that context, but as long as a Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Kawhi, Curry is in the mix, they will get that benefit and a consolidation of the voters who will not vote for somebody on a team outside of the top four in their conference. Yeah, I guess... um... I, I guess we, we, the other question I was wondering is that uh, I think it's going to be really easy for some people to to vote for Durant as well. Again, assuming that the Warriors kind of end up in that sixty-seven win kind of range, because uh, they're going to want to see him as he was the he was the great uh, the great addition. You know, he was the guy that 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 came and he integrated himself and, and this is and interesting because I disagree and, with you. Well, I'm not saying that I agree with that. I'm saying that I could see that sort of I could see that narrative sort of taking hold. Like I feel like before the season, during, after, I feel like the odds in Steph winning the MVP are are kind of down, sort of relative to where I think they should be. And I think this is kind of the reason. Like I think that there's I think there's going to be a wanting to sort of gravitate toward Durant and to sort of as much as he was sort of vilified before the season. I kind of feel like there might be like uh, there might be a, a wanting to sort of. Uh, validate his season if the Warriors, as long as they end up at the top of the conference, as long as they have number one seed in the West, I feel like there's going to be a desire to sort of reward him in a way. If they don't uh, end up, if they don't end up number one in the West, probably whoever is the best player on the number one team in the West will win the MVP. Whether that's going to be Chris or, Paul. Chris or Kawhi. And yeah. the right. reason why I think Durant is very unlikely to win it this year is on the narrative strain, and it's that the Warriors won 73 regular season games last year. <laughs> And right. so while there were a lot of other changes and there has been a focus on all of those changes, I can see a group of voters saying, wait, why should we vote for the guy? Especially there's an outside chance the Warriors end up with a worse record than the Thunder had last year, where if mm-hmm. they end up with a worse record than Thunder, just for whatever reason, to go on going in that direction. But it does all, you know, it is kind of nebulous in that sense. And with Curry, also, he's been worse defensively. That probably won't matter a whole heck of a lot in terms of the MVP. <laughs> And Mm -hmm. there are various reasons and explanations that could be given for that. It could just be a lack of intensity because there isn't much to prove. If you're the kind of voter that looks at real plus minus a lot, I could see that sort of swaying your vote a little bit. Yeah, and and another thing that sways real plus minus is that his rebounding has been down a little bit. And that is something that helps his, it's called a box score prior, because Mm -hmm. he's providing it. And for those who wonder why Clay Thompson sucks in RPM, it's that. (laughs) It's that he provides so little in the box score stats. Be on defense because he never steals, he never right. gets rebounds, he almost never blocks shots. So he will always be underrated in terms of that element. It's just a structural thing that RPM can't handle. Um, so they're back now. Uh, they've got they've got a back to back home and home with the Lakers, and this is not like a terribly easy schedule coming up. Like they have their first sort of sustained home stand uh, coming up. They've got five in a row, but they've got. After you have this home and home with the Lakers, they've got the Timberwolves, uh, which, you know, <laughs> as we saw at sort of at the tail end of last season, like Carl Anthony Towns is the kind of player that is going to give the Warriors fits for the immediate future uh, for myriad reasons. Uh, but then they've got Atlanta. They've got Houston. I mean, Phoenix, they've not exactly dominated Phoenix so far this year. And then they've got the Pacers that might, I don't know, they, <laughs> that's kind of the easiest one of the group there. But then it kind of all leads up to the uh, December 7th showdown in L.A. against the Clippers, which I feel like we all pretty much like have circled on our calendars at this point <laughs> and uh, like has me seriously considering going down to L.A. kind of to see that because it feels like with kind of the way that both of the tracks that both of these teams are on, that's going to be pretty important in, in the scheme of things. But um, 
but they've they've got a chance here to sort of stay home for a couple weeks, sleep in their own beds, uh, see their families, uh, rack up hopefully a few wins. You know, like we said before, they have not exactly played the highest quality opponents this year, but there's not a lot of gimmies coming up here in the immediate uh, future for them. Not a lot of gimmies, but also not a lot of games where they will be the underdog that Clippers game and then the the back-to-back with Utah I feel like they're more likely in many ways to win the Clippers game and lose the Jazz game depending on Mm -hmm. who Utah has healthy just because it's it's the classic trap you know that's a a, tough tough end of a of a brutal and Utah while not the elevation of Denver there is a meaningful elevation there so you have all of those things tied together it'll be a big game for the Jazz who played the Warriors well for the last three four years you know that they just have different kind of personnel we'll see if guys like George Hill are back because outside of those guys you know if they don't have george hill mm-hmm. they're not going to be favored against the right players. but i'm what i like so much about covering this team is that every game everything except for maybe last night <laughs> brings insight and information you know you're, you're learning mm-hmm. something it might be some it might be small like when mccaw kind of took the backup shooting guard spot for me and clark or it could be big, like, you know, Clay Thompson finally coming back and, and making his shots or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or some of the good Durant moments or Draymond proving that he's still that defensive guy. And that makes this season more compelling because we aren't going to have answers for a long time. And I've grown more comfortable with the idea that there are certain things that we're just not going to know until the playoffs. Yeah. But there is still enough to be figured out in terms of evaluation and fit and not only seeing what how good the players are, but what the coaching staff thinks of those players to make a game, you know, let's say, I agree, and I like watching the Hawks a lot, but like that, people are talking about Minnesota, great game, they're very excited about it, but Atlanta, two days later, could be a big test for them as well, and of course there's a lot of history with Dwight and Baysmore and, and all that kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. every game that... Player that opponents actually play their good players in brings a level of insight to what this team can be, what they will be. Yeah, and even just with these couple, you know, two or three ones coming up, I think this was, I think it was something that John Schumann brought up uh, on NBA.com. But you know, the, the Lakers and Timberwolves, they're, they're both top ten offenses right now. So you know, you're talking about a Warriors team that is trying to bring down that defensive rating mark as much as they can. This is actually going to be a pretty good test for them. I mean, you know, you, the last couple of years, you look at the schedule, you see the Lakers and Timberwolves, you kind of kind of brush it off a little bit. But th- th- there is still, like like you said, there are things to glean. There are things to learn uh, almost every night with this team. And Atlanta's been the best defense in the league. So that's, so there a, different, that's a different kind of test as well. Yeah. Anything else you think we should discuss? Uh, nope. It's, uh, <laughs> it's something new and, uh, and interesting uh, every night with this team. They, uh, they, we, we, are, we are not uh, for want of material these days, and it's pretty nice. Absolutely. Thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Eric Malinowski for taking the time. You can read him at Bleacher Report, and you can also follow him on Twitter at Eric Mal, M-E-R-I-K-M-A-L. And yeah, it was a good conversation. We had a little bit of NBA Wowie fun, which if you don't know it, it's com, and it's a, stat, it's a site that you can do lots of player combinations and things like that. I, I, I fiddle around with that in the NBA Media Stats site quite a bit, and both are quite enjoyable. So we'll have a normal game recap episode off the Lakers game tomorrow. It's disappointing that D'Angelo Russell will not play. He still has that knee issue, but it will still be an interesting game. Don't know yet who the guest is going to be. Take Thanksgiving off, and then probably do one, maybe even both episodes over the weekend because the Warriors have games on Friday and Saturday. So going to kind of play that by ear a little bit in terms of Locked on Warriors and then, you know, go back more to normal 
next week. So if you want to support the show, if you don't, you can do lots of different things. You can leave a rating, leave a review on whatever podcast player you like, or you can subscribe, download every episode. Really do appreciate that. Spread the word via whatever other means you want to use, social media, Reddit, word of mouth, whatever makes you happy. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun to do this. I am appreciative of, of all the support so far and keep going strong as the season continues to go on. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. With the holidays around the corner, now's your chance to save time and money at Safeway Stock Up Sale. Plus, earn four times gas reward points on participating items. Look for tags on items like Honey Nut Cheerios. Select varieties are four for eight dollars with your club card. And select varieties of Betty Crocker Cake Mix, Brownie Mix, or Frosting are ten for ten dollars with your club card. Maximum gas reward at participating Sunoco stations is twenty cents per gallon and one dollar per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill of up to twenty-five gallons. Other restrictions, limitations, and exclusions apply. For complete details, go to Safeway.com. Hey, Bay Area sports fans, this is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast, which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked On Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you are looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.